Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown. We're in, I think it's week four of this series called At the Table. And in this series, if you haven't been part of some of the earlier uh, parts of it, we're looking at these events primarily in the Gospel of Luke, where we find Jesus at the table. And it's not just the meal. There's so much happening in these gatherings. And, and so it's been uh, really interesting to look at each one uh, in, in its distinct purpose, even though this commonality is that they're all happening at a table. And doing the series got me thinking about... Uh, about tables. And, and really, I got thinking about the one in our own kitchen. Uh, it's the table that our kids, when they were growing up, uh, was where we had all of our family meals. Before that, it was the table that I grew up having all family meals at. Before that, it was in my grandparents' place. And so my ma uh, would have been having her special family meals there as well. And at one point, some years ago, Annette uh, refinished the top of it because it was looking pretty scabby. And Annette refinished the top. It looks so much better uh, than it ever did before. But still in the top of it, in these random spots, are these black marks. Just, they're just kind of random, these black marks. And, and, and so what I was told is that these are places that my grandfather thoughtlessly my grandmother would say carelessly, allowed the ashes to float off of his cigarette over dinner and burned the top of the table. And they're just kind of all over the place. Now, my grandpa, you know, he hasn't sat at that table. He's been gone for 30 years now. He hasn't sat at that table for probably 35 years. But there are these remembrances of him each time I sit down at it. And I start there because this morning we're going to look at a table that Jesus was at where he gave something to remember. He gave us something to remember. And these are, this reminder that Jesus gives is far from a careless, accidental reminder like the ones my grandpa left. This was thoughtful, this was purposeful, and it was intentional. And it was meant to remind the world of the act of salvation and the inherent value that you and I have in the kingdom of God. Now, some of the tables that Jesus has been at in this series, he was an honored guest at. Uh, Some of them, he was invited as a means of trying to trap him into saying something uh, heretical or blasphemous in the eyes of those who had invited him and an excuse to remove him from society permanently, if possible. Well, this morning, we're going to look at possibly the most famous of the tables in which Jesus sat, this table. This is da Vinci's attempt to depict what Jesus' final final time at a table with his disciples might have looked like. It's, It's a painting, right? Of course, it's not photographic evidence. I suspect, as the joke goes, that 13 of them didn't all sit on one side of the table, 
But it's an attempt to say, look, we were all gathered in this upper room, and Jesus is central to the entire thing. And there's something happening, if you study it, in each of the acts of the disciples that are here. Well, the written record of the Last Supper is found in numerous New Testament locations. Uh, It's in the Gospel of Matthew. You find it in the Gospels of Mark and John. It's referenced uh, in a detailed way by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. Well, this morning, as we've been doing in this preaching series, we're going to be in Luke's Gospel. And we're going to be in chapter 22, looking at verses 7 to 20 this morning. And as you turn there, I want to give a bit of context as you uh, head to Luke chapter 22. Five times in what I'm about to read, Luke reminds the reader that this is not just any old Sunday meal at the table. This was not just any time that Jesus had gathered at the table. This was the once-a-year, highly sacred Passover meal. A table gathering that was a pivotal part of the God-commanded week-long feast where the people of Israel stopped and remembered their ancestors' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. More specifically, it remembers the way that God passed over the homes of the Israelite people as the plague of the firstborn was brought on to Egypt, and every person uh, and animal that was firstborn of any kind and any family died, and every home in Egypt suffered grief over that plague except the Israelites' homes because God passed over them. Well, by the time uh, of these Luke 22 events, the Passover has taken on a couple of different names, and they're sort of used equally. You have the Feast of the Unleavened Bread or the Passover, same thing, uh, interchangeable terms for the same week of celebration, the same act of remembrance. And so this table that we're at this morning is on a highly significant day on the Jewish calendar. The day that Jesus is gathering with the disciples in what we're going to read here is that day of that special week, that once-a-year week and that once-a-year day when the sacrificial lamb would traditionally be slaughtered as part of the Passover observances. Now, for you and I, I'll just say this is happening on Thursday. Thursday of the final week of Jesus' life, at the final Passover that Jesus is enjoying with his disciples, it's Thursday night. So we pick up at verse 7 of Luke 22. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go, prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he said to them, Behold, when you've entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters. And tell the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished, Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles were with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. When he had given thanks, he said, take this. Divided among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. 
and he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup is, that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right, so the, the Passover meal that year was prepared exactly the way Jesus uh, said it would be, exactly in the place that he said it would be, in exactly the fashion that it had been observed since the Exodus. Now, this particular one, Jesus is reclined at the table. Uh, this was an image that we saw in week number two uh, of, of this series. And he's telling his friends at this table how much he has looked forward to sharing this meal with them. At, at a certain point, he takes one of the cups from the table. He gives thanks to God, and he instructs the disciples to share its contents, explaining to them that that, that cup, that cup is now a powerful tool of remembrance for them. Now, you may not know this. I had to learn this. At the Passover, there were actually four cups. Four cups were used in the process of observing the Passover. And the first cup, well, why four cups? If we were to go to Exodus chapter 6, uh, verses 6 and 7, the Lord makes, uh, God makes uh, four promises there. And so each of these cups represents each one of those promises. The first cup is called the cup of sanctification. And it references God saying in Exodus 6, I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. Now, cup number two in the Passover meal is the cup of deliverance. God says, I will rescue you from their bondage. Now, then in the meal comes cup number three, the cup of redemption. This is God's promise to the Israelites that he would redeem them with an outstretched arm. And then finally, in the Passover observance, there's a fourth cup. It's the cup of praise. And it remembers God's vow where he says, I will take you as my people. So when we remember the four memorial reasons that these four cups were being shared, there's no agreement on which of the cups Jesus is actually passing in, the, in that moment. Um, it could be the first cup, the cup of sanctification, given that Jesus' death was going to set free those who had become slaves to sin. Or maybe it was cup number three, the cup of redemption, since Jesus would pay the price on the world's behalf to redeem that debt of sin. The point being that there would be this memorized ritualistic litany of remembrance that would be in the minds of the disciples. It had four cups. It had always had four cups. Every time since they were kids that they had taken the Passover, it had four cups. And now Jesus has taken this point of remembrance and it's taken an unexpected turn. Jesus has deviated from the script. He's inserted himself into the traditional Passover observances. He, of course, also offers a similar call to remember by using some bread from the table, saying that from this point on, this bread should remind them all that Jesus had given his body for them. He the bread of life would also be their sacrificial Passover lamb. 
So we have these words, we have this call to action, the cups, the bread, they have just become so much more than just what you needed to observe the Passover. They have become so much more than just these standard items of religious and cultural ritual and observance for that time of year. These things, these simple things, cup, bread, they are now sacred reminders of a future event which the disciples don't even know yet is going to happen. They had no clue, as Jesus was saying these things, that at their Passover meal on that Thursday of the Passover week, Jesus is making plain to them that he is the Passover lamb, that he will be sacrificed for the remission of sins, that his blood is going to be the blood spilled to seal that covenant and to wash away their sins. That evening meal, during the last week of his earthly life, with, a bread, uh, with bread and with a cup, Jesus takes an act that's been passed down through generations of the people, a tangible look back at history, and he's now encouraging his followers to take that act and use it to look forward to something yet to happen. What those at the table uh, had no concept of at the time was that the fulfillment of the promise of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God was going to unfold the very next day on a hill outside of Jerusalem when Jesus would be nailed to a Roman cross. And so what I want to invite us to consider this morning, uh, having just explored what was happening at that Passover table in the upper room, is to consider that the bread and the cup utilized by Jesus were in fact so much more than just existing symbols that had took on a new meaning. Of course, that's true. They were the symbols of remembrance. And neither are they simply what was handy at the table, although that's also true. I wonder why. Do you wonder why Jesus gave these things? as a vital memory device pointing to him. Why use a meal? What's with the bread? What's with the cup? Despite what some today might say, the bread and the cup in their nature are truly simply symbolic ordinances. They're symbols. There's no spiritual power in the bread. The idea that at the Lord's table, the bread literally and physically becomes the actual literal body of Jesus is not a Protestant conviction, and that's for good reason. The bread is but a symbolic reminder. Same with the cup. Some fellowships, like ours, use the little cups filled with juice. Others use wine in those little cups. Others use a common cup that everyone present drinks from. No thank you. But again, the juice, the wine, the cup, if it's online and you're using your cup of tea when you're taking communion, whatever you mean, use as a means to stop and remember and be thankful for your salvation in Christ alone, it's just a symbol. There's power in the blood, yes, but not in the juice. It's a symbol. So why use food? I wonder if it might be because being at the table was a daily thing 
Several times a day, in fact. Passover was once a year. Synagogue, once a week. Mealtime, though, mealtime happened multiple times every day. And mealtimes in this culture were sacred events already, where family, uh, where friends gathered, where God was earnestly thanked for his provision, where those who were invited by those who had extra were often those who went without. It's not insignificant. It's not coincidental that the center of the redemption story that Jesus is unveiling is revealed at a table during a meal. That table in that borrowed guest room was so much more than ritual. It was so much more than feeding time. It had become, at the hand of Jesus, sacred space. The sorts of meals that Jesus had been encouraging in every scene we've studied so far in this series were always about the same things. They're always about community. They were about inclusion. They were about grace and humility and so much more. Because the kingdom of God invites all who know Jesus, all who humble themselves and call him Lord, all who have been turned away and burned out on legalistic, hypocritical religion. Jesus calls all to the table. Now, that last supper, which becomes for the Christ follower, the Lord's Supper, it highlights an essential of essentials when it comes to following Jesus or identifying oneself as a Christ follower. Christ suffered. Christ bled. Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And the bread and the cup would regularly appear at the table where God's people would gather, where bread would be broken, where the cup would be passed in the name of Jesus. His death would be proclaimed. Jesus calls on his disciples and those who call Jesus Lord to continue in the act of remembrance until the day when he returns in all his glory. See, that call to remember, well, it matters. Remembering ongoingly what Jesus has done has eternal consequences. Which is probably why the Apostle Paul got so riled up regarding the church in Corinth. They had turned, when we read the letters from Paul, they had turned the Lord's Supper, the sacred act of communal remembrance and gratitude, that meal that was established by the Lord Jesus at a specific time and for a specific reason, they in Corinth had turned it into an all-you-can-eat buffet and an all-you-can-drink buffet. Far from remaining an act of remembrance, of grace, of community, of humility, of inclusion as it was intended, the Lord's Supper in Corinth had become a carnival, a sideshow, where anything went, and sadly, where many went without. I mean, how quickly the early church forgot what Jesus had said only a few years before, had forgotten what Jesus had done right in front of them just a few years before, and what he called his disciples to continually do going forward. One last consideration about the events at this table in the upper room uh, have to do with Jesus' words in verses 15 to 18. Let me reread those for us. And he, Jesus, said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, 
I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Given that Jesus knew that this Passover meal represented the last time that he would be at the table while on earth, and given what he already knew was going to take place the next day, what do we make of what Jesus is saying here to the disciples? I mean, I can't believe we would read these and think that Jesus is excited for what's about to happen. His horrific death on a cross. I don't think that's what he's earnestly desiring. I also don't think he was earnestly desiring to get away from these 12 that he'd been trying to teach for the last three and a half years. I've eagerly desired to have this final meal with you bunch is I don't think what he's saying. The, the eagerness that Jesus is part, uh, on the part of Jesus at the table has to do with the era that it ushers in. Jesus would eat no more Passover meals. He'd share no more bread. He'd share no more wine until, as verse 18 indicates, the coming of the future kingdom. At that time of God's choosing, Jesus would join all who have observed the Lord's Supper throughout the ages. So, this final Passover for Jesus is triggering an era that he's already looking ahead and anticipating as being a glorious one. That's, that's why Jesus had been eagerly and earnestly desiring uh, to help his disciples see past this Passover and towards the kingdom of God. And when the reuniting with the faithful uh, happens at the second coming, guess where we'll be when it happens? At a table. Revelation 19.9 speaks of the event when the angel uh, says to John the apostle, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. There's an image for you. The angel depicting a feast celebrating the unification of Christ and his church. A party highlighting the intimate covenant that God struck through the willing sacrifice of the Lamb of God. It's that time. It's that event. It's that table that Jesus sees coming. That's why he's eagerly desiring to have this final Passover meal because it triggers that era to come. It's facilitating the wedding feast yet to come. When we observe the Lord's Supper in this church, one of the things I remind us when I have the cup and with the bread is that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. That time when we find ourselves at the table attending the wedding feast of the Lamb. And I've, had to, I've really had to honestly reflect on whether I have ever actually, quote, eagerly desired that meal, that communion observance, eagerly desired. As a church leader for over 20 years, I've had every single one of those years on the first Sunday of every month, I've stood in front of a congregation with bread and a cup and declared the hope of Jesus, with those, which those elements remind us of, but I've also had more times than I care to admit 
come into church on a Sunday and realized, oh yeah, it's communion. I got to say something right after the sermon about communion. That's not eagerly desiring. I've done that. Or I've gotten so caught up in the how of the ordinance. How are we going to observe communion this time? How are we going to do it that I completely failed to remember the why? I have been guilty of presiding over communion like it was a funeral lunch instead of a celebration feast. So here's what I'm going to do this week, and here's what I invite you to do. You might be thinking, well, why would he not preach this next Sunday when it's actually a communion Sunday? Hello. That would have been a really good connection, Pastor. Here's why. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday is a communion Sunday. Next Sunday, Lord willing, during worship, we are going to come to the Lord's table and remember his body and his blood given for us and the promise of his return. But for my part this week, I'm going to be seeking God to instill in me an eager desire for that meal. That it would be more than just an add-on to the sermon, more than just words that the pastor has to say, more than just a ritual to be followed because the calendar says it's the first Sunday of the month, but that it would be truly a divine act of remembrance that all at once recalls the sacrifice of Jesus and anticipates a future reunion with him one day. So my invitation to you, to all of us, is this week to commit to spending some of your prayer time thinking ahead to next Sunday. Thinking about what the Lord's Supper means to you. Thinking about what it points back to, yes, but what it points forward to as well. And as you do, maybe we can ask the Holy Spirit to make it something that we really, really cannot wait to be part of. We come to Jesus' table not because we must, but because we may. Because we're invited So may God be praised through Christ Jesus this week as we find ourselves, through his spirit, excitedly anticipating the Lord's Supper next Sunday with the same eager desire that Jesus spoke of in today's scripture. I mean, next week, friends, church, next week we get to be at the table at the invitation of Jesus. What is not to eagerly desire about that? You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's Rooted and Reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it. Until next time, thank you for listening.